0: How on earth did that
1: happen? Hello everybody and welcome to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. I'm your host today, BJ Cunningham. In a second, I'll be joined by my co-host and friend, Anthony DeBundo. Michael Eboff is out having the time of his life at the World Darts Championship, so you're stuck with just me and Anthony today. This is your World Cup recap. We're going to go back through the tournament, some of our Best calls, worst calls. Recap the final. We'll tie a little bow on this World Cup. A little Team USA summary, and then going to look forward a little bit to some other international competitions. But first, Wonder Goal is presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with the promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet one dollar on any game, get two hundred free. Holy shit. What a final that was Anthony. <laughs> that was, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you first. That was my only sentence of just like, Oh my gosh, that thing got completely out of control. But what are your thoughts on what was probably the one of, one of the best world cup finals that we've ever seen?
2: Yeah. I just told you this story off air. I'll tell it on air. We had a, a, a service person come from Verizon because we're having problems with our, uh, our router and he showed up in about the 70th minute, big soccer fan, And we had the match on and we told him, we're like, Hey man, uh, you know, why don't you hang around watch the match with us? Cause he was super into it, big Mbappe fan. Uh, and you know, we're all going crazy when Mbappe gets back-to-back goals in the last, you know, in in a minute and 55 seconds or whatever it was. Uh, and then he, he switches the router during the, the intermission between extra time and the end of the regulation, and then just stays for the rest. Uh, and so it was really cool. Uh, it was a fun experience, but of course I thought, the deserved team won in the end, like they were clearly the better side for the first 75 minutes. It was kind of exactly what we said with Argentina creating overloads in the midfield, extra midfielder three on two for most of the match with Messi, then tucking in between the lines and just receiving pass after pass in those dangerous areas. That ultimately is what leads to the first goal with them getting Di Maria two on one with McAllister out wide. That's how they get the first goal. Second goal, great transition moment up the right. Uh, but really, I thought it was a, a more of a matter of France not having any chance of playing through the midfield, and it wasn't until they went more direct and they brought on Taram and Kolomwani to add the pressing that they were able to even get anything going whatsoever uh, going forward. So I thought Argentina had the better game plan; they were better managed, better midfield, deserved to win in the end. Even though we're you know we're one save from Martinez away from this being four three France in extra time.
1: I know it is crazy. It's it's funny if you were to just turn that match on in like the 75th minute you'd be like oh my gosh france is the best team in the world like how un- they were so unlucky to lose but they did nothing for the first 75 minutes i mean they didn't attempt a shot up until what was it the 71st or 72nd minute and it was two very low quality chances and then you know koisore gets you know burns a couple defenders gets in behind gets the penalty and then suddenly you know what we kind of said was what was the biggest weakness of the argentinian team was their fullbacks And it came true with the second Mbappe goal where Merlina just got caught trying to to cover Mbappe. He slid in behind and obviously he's the best player in the world. So he can score from that angle. And then from there, the match just got, it got bonkers. Like it was just up and down, back and forth. Like even Lateral Martinez had a couple like golden chances to put Argentina ahead, even before 90 minutes and an extra time as well. Just an unbelievable world cup, unbelievable final. I, I agree with you in the end, Argentina did deserve to win it because yeah, they were in cruise control for the first 70 minutes of that match, and I was, I was actually sitting, I was deciding whether to go out and spend some time with my family, and I was sitting there, I was like, Argentina's got this under control, and like the 70th minute, like maybe I'll just head out now, like I don't really want to watch because I've already, I, you know, I had France to win in regular time, you know, I had the over two goals, so I was like, all right, it, you know, it is what it is, um, and then the the two goals happened, and I was just like, oh my gosh, and I was just locked in for the rest of the match, but yeah, no, it was. An insane final. Uh, a lot of people are calling it the the greatest football match ever played. Do you agree with that?
2: Uh, I think if you include the stakes, sure. Yeah, uh, I would not say it's like the most because the first seventy five minutes was so blah yeah. that I don't think it can rise to that level. But given that it is a World Cup final, like the bar it needs to clear as a soccer match is lower to be considered an, an historical match. But in terms of World Cup finals, you know, this is my first World Cup. But this is the best World Cup final I've ever seen uh, of the of the now four that I can remember, at least Uh, 2006. Very vague for me. Uh, But 2010, 14, 18, not nearly as memorable, either because they were boring or because they were long decided with France in 2018. But I thought the the interesting thing, you know, I had both teams to score and I had Argentina possession over 54 and a half. And I had Mbappe and Messi to both have a shot on target. And I'm like, I'm going to lose all these bets because (laughs) slowly. Argentina was ticking down the possession because they didn't want the ball anymore. And France wasn't creating anything. And then the one moment with the penalty and then the both teams to score, everything, you know, ended up going through for me. So right. it was a wild betting, you know, final. Of course, if you had mm-hmm. Argentina money line, that's a pretty bad beat. Yeah. Um, if you had France to lift the trophy, you would have been lucky to get through with that. You know, I felt yeah. like, uh, and I was also watching FanDuel. I was, I was wondering, would the market shade toward Argentina on pens? It actually didn't. Argentina was minus 114 going into the penalty shootout. I thought they'd be a bigger favorite because of the legend of of Martinez, but uh, they ended up not being that uh, and ended up winning, of course, anyway. They also had the better penalty takers at that point. You know, France had taken off Griezmann, Giroud. They didn't have some of their probably preferred options, whereas Argentina was bringing on Dybala, you know, still had, you know, even after Messi, guys who had more experience on penalty shootouts in these moments. And they won the Copa last summer, Winning two penalty shootouts in on the on the way, so or winning one, sorry, against Colombia. So they had more experience, but I I think we saw the cracks too. You know, once the Dutch went direct, once the French went direct, they 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 had their way with this Argentina defense, which is kind of what we said as well in this matchup.
1: I'll I'll say one thing, like obviously Argentina, like their expected goals numbers were incredible throughout the entire World Cup, but. Let's be honest. They've had one of the easier paths of any champion to actually not only get to the final, they played one team in the top 10, one top 10 team going to the final. They need to be needed penalty shootouts to beat them. And then obviously they played France, who's the top five team in the world as well. So people are going to tell you that penalties. Ar- yep. And on penalties as well. So I will get to it in a little bit, but I still don't think Argentina is the best team in the world. Like they were the best team at this world cup for, for the run that they had, but given the path that they had, I'm not going to sit here and say that, Oh my gosh, I still think Argentina is the best team in the world. And like going forward, like that was their chance, right? Like they're not, you know, they're not going to be one of the, I'd say five best teams in the world talent wise going forward. Now that Messi is, you know, age is going to be aging out. Um, But we'll get all that to a second. Let's move on. There was, we had some highs and we had some lows throughout this world cup as a podcast individually Let's go through, let's pat ourselves on the back a little bit. Let's tell everybody how smart we are. Anthony, what was your best call of this entire World Cup? I have to go Morocco.
2: You know, mm-hmm. I think we, we talked about them. There was the one day, uh, and it, for me as a, you know, betting this World Cup throughout the group stage was very up and down. Yep. I feel like I would lose money every time group A, B, C, and D would play. <laughs> and then I would win it all back on EF and, and G. Yep. And that's pretty much, you know, and so that, like, those days were really fun when when Canada played Belgium, when, uh, Germany played Japan when Morocco played Croatia or Belgium, like those were the games where I felt like I had great reads and, and we won a lot of tickets. Uh, but yeah, Morocco 12 to one. If you, if you have, if you use the action app, then you get like your end of the year wrapped for the the teams that made you the most money throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And for me, somebody who bets baseball heavily, the Phillies were my top team, but Morocco actually snuck into the top three solely based off of a couple of world cup, you know, <laughs> to advance and some, uh, some, uh, tickets on them to win the group. So they were a lot of fun and then they broke my heart, but yeah. overall, I think best call was, was definitely Morocco. Uh, and you know, that would probably be it. I, I wouldn't, I, I'm not sure we hit, I mean, I guess Gakpo, which I tweeted. Yeah. I don't think I ever mentioned on the pod. We talked about Gakpo, uh, top touch score was a big hit for me as well.
1: Yeah. I'd say as a podcast, our best hit was definitely Japan. Um, overall, you know, we were all kind of on Japan meet individually I'm my best call. was Wales to finish bottom in group B. Um, I was very defiant about that. You won that, you won that battle with Leboff. I did win that battle with Leboff. It turns out they weren't that good of a tournament team. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. no, that was my Maybe that six, was, years yeah, was six years ago. Yeah. Six years ago. No, that was, that was that one. And I'll be honest, I got a little lucky to to win that as well. Cause if you go back the Iran match where they scored two goals, you know, deep, deep into stoppage time to, to make sure that bet won, that was, that was a nice one. Um, but yeah, I'd say as a podcast, our best hit was probably Japan, not only like be getting them to advance, but the two times that we took them in both, both against Spain and against Germany, you know, that, that speaking of action wrapped my biggest hit, anything was the Japan money line against, uh, against Spain, uh, at eight to one, that was my biggest hit, uh, of anything. Um, so yeah. So now that we're done patting ourselves on the back, let's tell everybody how stupid we are. Um, I'd say as a podcast, our it's worst laundry list. Yeah, it's a laundry list. Uh, yeah, because I I texted Anthony. He, he was like, I was asking for topics and he came up with this topic and I was, he's just like, Yeah, best call and you know, we're biggest regret. And I just said I regret everything <laughs> pretty much throughout this World Cup. Um, I'd say our worst call as a podcast would be Denmark to win group D. Um it just didn't show up, pretty much is how it went. And that happens throughout these international tournaments. Um, but personally, Anthony, what call are you looking back on? You're like, man. How did I not see that coming?
2: Not buying in on Argentina, you know, being a little stubborn on them. I think we were probably wrong on that. Like not realizing that they were still a very good team, even though yeah. they had a fluke loss. Uh, I missed up. We missed opportunities to get in on them cheaper. Uh, did we overrate France's uh, injuries and lack of depth in mm-hmm. how we felt about them? You know, I, I thought, you know, the way these brackets play out little things swing a big way. So you know, we were not that far. You know, we talked about this, the Braithwaite chance. We were not that far away from France playing Argentina in the round of 16. If Argentina hadn't won their group or France hadn't won theirs, they would have played each other in the first round of the knockouts. So a lot of things kind of fall like a jenga tower if you're just a little bit off on it. Uh, I thought, I would say, yeah, Denmark was definitely my worst call in terms of, from from a future's perspective, just nothing from from them whatsoever the whole tournament. Uruguay, I don't feel quite as bad about because I felt like they had a lot of chances to win that match against Portugal and, and probably should have won it. Uh, Portugal is another team. We were probably wrong on them because they played differently than we thought they would. Mm-hmm. We thought they'd be much more conservative than they ended up being. They actually used their talent, and then they benched Ronaldo. Um, Switzerland plus a half might have been my worst bet of the tournament. Uh, and so, you know, there, there's a few things, but I'll, I'll, I'll settle on Denmark as the worst bet I made only because, uh, you know, if you follow this for more than the last few months then you know last year was really when we started this kind of talk show and before it was actually a podcast we were where i was you know driving the denmark train and i thought we could get one more ride out of it but uh, the wheels came off we, we derailed and we are uh, crash and burned on the side of a uh, qatari highway so it, it's not it's not pretty
1: yeah um my worst call speaking of qatar was just buying into all the Qatar conspiracies like right away from the get-go. Just, you know, I I feel like for a month, I had just been repeating it over and over again. Like Qatar has had six months repair. Oh my gosh. Like I know they don't have talent, but come on. Like they, Ecuador is going to have seven days. And I thought that was really going to play a big difference. And it turns out that they were the least talented team in the tournament for a reason. Um, And they completely folded. And I, this is where I, I, I trip myself up sometimes where I'm like, man, if Qatar hadn't won more group stage match, I'd probably bet on them again, but no. Um, it just shows you that, I mean, throughout, the you know, these international tournaments that talent in the end is what makes the difference, right? Because since these teams don't play together very often, like two of the more talented teams in the entire tournament, you know, got to the final. We did have some upsets. I'd say, um, yeah, I'd say Denmark was a was a big one because I, you know, I bet on Denmark every single match throughout the group stage as well. So I like, you know, all of the matches just continually got worse and worse from there. You know, the Denmark Tunisia match was, was a big painful one. Um, but yeah, I'd say Qatar, Denmark. Um, yeah. Those are, those would probably be the, the two biggest ones. And yeah, just not, not buying into France and not buying into Argentina throughout the tournament. Although I will say the thing about France is that like Mbappe was incredible, but like France lost the expected goals battle against both Poland and England. And then the match against Morocco, I think we can all agree that Morocco definitely should have scored uh, in that match. And then obviously they were by far the, the, the inferior side against Argentina. So I don't feel as bad about the France thing. Um, But yeah, no, buying into Qatar conspiracy theories was probably my my dumbest thing that I did throughout this entire world cup. Um, Yeah. Let's move on. Because we did have some – we had some highs, you know, from a futures, – we'll move on from futures to individual matches. We had some highs, and we had some big-time lows. What was, for you, going back and, and watching this World Cup, the moment that you felt just, like, the most joy, the most passion from a bet coming through? Uh,
2: Morocco to win the group, the, yep. that, just that day, you know, because uh, it was – Relying on Morocco beating Canada and then not having Croatia win the other match. Uh, And I had just kept watching Lukaku miss chance after chance after chance. And I kept thinking in the back of my head, Croatia's going to steal this 1-0 and I'm just going to be sick to my stomach about it. And Morocco also almost blew a two-goal lead against Canada that day. Canada got an own goal and then hit the crossbar and it went bar down out, not in. Uh, So Morocco was pretty fortunate that day too. So I think the the biggest high I had was, was that day. Uh, but also Switzerland coming back to beat Serbia was yep. a big one.
1: That was a big that one.
2: That Serbia fraud got exposed. Uh, and I almost talked myself into betting Serbia before the group stage. And I, you know, thought against it and went with my Swiss instead. So that was cool. Uh, and I would say. Otherwise, uh, I got every U.S. read wrong pretty much. <laughs> so <laughs> that was not as fun, uh, but yeah, both teams to score England USA hilarious, but uh yeah. The, the you know, the US defense getting exposed when I finally, you know, decided that I was kind of in on them was not not great by me.
1: Yeah, for me just looking back on it, the couple big moments was, you know, Japan beating uh Spain was a was, you know, in terms of moments, but the elation for me was when South Korea beat uh Portugal in the very final minute because like I had South Korea money line. Like I had Canada to finish bottom and they were down two nothing. So I just needed that goal to, to have a bunch of dominoes fall my way and it ended up actually happening, which was just that was an incredible moment for me. Yeah. The one day where things weren't going very well. And then the day where um, Japan beat Germany, Spain throttled Costa Rica, and then we had the, you know, the Canada one that probably should have won against Belgium. That was probably one of my Morally, uh, that was wonder dog Wednesday. That was a wonder dog Wednesday, which will probably be coming back sometime soon. Next time we get a, uh, a champions league or a midweek, uh, premier league slate, We'll, we'll bring that back at some point, or we'll just change the day, you know, it'll be wonder dog Saturday or something. Um, all right. We had great moments, but we also had some very, very painful moments, moments that just absolutely brought you to your knees. What individual match of all of them just completely gutted you?
2: Uh, Portugal-Uruguay group stage. I had so much riding on that match. It was my biggest single-game bet of the tournament at that point. Uh, I was not doing well in the tournament at that point either. And Uruguay had chance after chance after chance after chance, and they could not score. And that was by far the worst. I mean, they were the better team in that game. They played it perfectly, I thought. Conceded a fluke goal. Should have scored one or two. Benton Kerr's miss. Suarez's miss. They had a couple other misses. Maxi Gomez hit the post. That was the match where I was like, "This is the World Cup where nothing is going to go right for me," and that's the thing about these international tournaments. There's so much variance and bounces that can go for or against you that you, you you It's such a small sample, and so uh, it can be hard when you're not getting the bounces, and you're like, "Okay, you just got to keep at it. Trust your process, uh, hmm. trust your your analysis and your 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 numbers." Uh, and so that was a really hard one. Really tested my resolve but and I know a lot of people also had Uruguay with me. So that, that also hurts. I wrote the preview for it. Uh, and I think I did a video on that game too. Gave it out on green dot daily. Like we talked about that game a lot
0: <laughs> and it did not go
2: our way. So yeah. that was a hard one for sure. Uh, but it also got to a, a bigger point that I'll make after you talk kind of about how international football is trending and how I'm, I'm optimistic about it.
1: Yeah. Uh, for me, I was looking back on it and I was like, yeah, there were obviously some painful moments, but one of them that just, that truly, like, I literally fell to my knees uh, when I lost it, was I, one of my bigger bets was South Criagiano bet against Ghana. Um,
0: Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com bluewire. That's harrys.com bluewire for a $3 trial set. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom
1: Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by
0: Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
1: South Korea coming back, like getting two goals in quick succession, having all the momentum, and then conceding like five minutes later. Ghana scoring on, you know, their only three shots on target went in the back of the net. And then just watching South Korea, because there was, there ended up being like 11 or 12 minutes of extra time in that match uh, or stoppage time, excuse me. They swung in 35 crosses, completed 15 of them in that match. And just watching them do that over and over and over again, just piling everybody forward and not having the ball go in the back of the net, that, that really broke me to, to a point where I was just like, I I was just like, I don't even know what to do at this point. Like, I don't know, I don't know how else I can, can read this match or, or get it right. And I think that is a larger point to you as well. It's like at the club level, we know we have a 38 match season through five different leagues, champions league, Europa league. So if variance doesn't go your way for one match, it's like, okay, like, yeah, that sucks. But you know, we have all these other matches going forward. And eventually over time, you know, regression will find its mean. But like you said, in these international tournaments with such a small sample size, with three group stage matches, it just makes it feel like you know, your tournament's over almost like if you don't hit one match, right. Because they only have three and going into the next world cup in 2026, if they stick with the, the 16 group, three, three teams in each group, it's going to, the variance is even going to be even higher and the pressure is going to be even more um from not only these, you know, from a betting perspective, but these teams as well. It's like, if we're, you're really only going to play two matches throughout the group stage, like, that, that leaves you open to a ton of variants. And that's just betting soccer in general. Like if you're somebody who just hopped on for this world cup, you hadn't really been listening to our podcast or whatever the world cup. And, you know, shows you how, how high a variant soccer, I'd say it's the highest variant sport out there to bet uh, just because of how low scoring it is in nature. Um, So it's, that's why we talk about pain all the time and everything like that. It's like, this isn't an NFL game where, you know, yeah, a team may score on a pick six, but it's like they've had 60 minutes. They had 10, 11, 12 drives to try and go score. It's like you know there are matches where teams take two shots, they score one of them. The other team takes 30 shots and it doesn't go in, and that's just that's just how it goes sometimes. And again, through these international tournaments, it uh, the variance is even higher, uh, just because you get you know teams piling everybody forward where you wouldn't see it in a normal club you know match where. Teams need to win, teams need to draw, you know, it's, it's, it's insane, but it's a lot of fun in, in, in the end. So, but I'll let you make your point uh, about international soccer going forward.
2: Well, uh, I'm surprised you didn't say England, by the way. We'll get, England, we'll get France. to them. Our last segment <laughs> is, our last no, segment I, is I who think we're looking
1: forward to. I, it's, England was the best team in this world cup. Duh. Uh-huh.
2: I think uh, when you look at how certain teams we had question marks about coming in, played France, uh, you know, I had been critical of Deschamps coming into the tournament, and he had relied heavily on their defensive midfield being elite and not really doing anything out of possession. And they, they just played a different style. They were more aggressive. Radyo got forward. Teo Hernandez got forward. They weren't as defensive because they didn't have the defensive midfield to get away with it. So they played a much more entertaining high event style that they hadn't done in, in the last World Cup and even at the Euros last year. When you look at Portugal, Santos is gone. So, you know, we'll see who they hire.
1: Jose. But
2: it was a clear, yeah, right. It was a clear (laughs) indication that they want to play more on the front foot. And they did more of that in this tournament. Even the decision to go to Ramos over Ronaldo is a changing of the guard, a changing in how they want to play, getting Rafael Guerrero forward a ton up the left. Cancelo, uh, you know, playing essentially as a midfielder when he was on the pitch. Like there was clear evidence that Portugal wanted to send more numbers forward. France Portugal these kind of teams that have more talent playing more on the front foot I think is better for international soccer and it makes it a better product Mm -hmm. because I don't want to see all of these teams being too afraid to take chances being too conservative with possession and that's the question with England now Uh, they're keeping Southgate great decision you love him. I'm more, I'm more lukewarm on scout on Southgate. I don't think he's bad. I don't think he's great either, but it will be interesting to see of all the attacking talent England has <clears throat> does Southgate play a more proactive and aggressive style than he did. Even at this world cup, I thought there were times where they, they didn't really push, you know, against the United States. There wasn't a ton, you know, even against Senegal until the goal and they were able to play in transition. They were not, putting a ton of guys forward playing a double pivot with henderson uh you know in this in this year at his age was was kind of a defensive decision and then you know they did control a lot of the match against france but they didn't have any big chances outside of the penalties it felt like a lot of the, what they got came from the penalties uh and and didn't really do much with their with their you know possession in midfield outside of you know you know bellingham made a huge difference but how much of that was Bellingham versus Southgate? I think that's another question, Mark. So we'll see. I think it'll be very interesting to see how they look come to come the Euros, come March when Euro qualifying starts in, in yep. three months. Uh, but, yeah, I think there's definitely a change to more high event, more open, more attacking. And for the best teams, that's the way to be because you have a better team. You're more likely to win if you express yourself over 90 minutes and create more events.
1: Yeah, and I think you see that with some of the, um, you know, not necessarily smaller nations, but inferior nations to the big, you know, the top 10, the teams like Japan, the South Korea, they are setting up not only to be successful throughout their confederation, but when they get to the world cup, they know that they're not going to have the ball as much as they, they will that the Asian level. So you're seeing a big change. I think with that, for a lot of uh, these smaller nations, once we, once we actually get towards the world cup. And again, like I said, in the 2026 world cup, there's gonna be 48 teams. There's going to be a lot of other smaller nations. So I agree with you that I did like it, that a lot of teams were, were much, much more aggressive at this world cup as opposed to what we saw at the Euros. I thought the Euros, there was, you know, there was obviously some high scoring matches, but a lot of the bigger matches were, were very low events. Teams played very defensive. So, um, that is good to see. Um, And I, I say this because it's just how international soccer works. It's that these, the coaches usually go through four-year cycles. So like, that's why you see a lot of coaches now have just been either like resigned or they've been fired or whatever it is. It's like, A lot of these coaches, it's their last hurrah at a World Cup. They're like, I know that if I, you know, unless I win this World Cup or reach the final, like I'm not getting retained. So let's just play more open. Let's play more expansive than we have. So I think that has a little bit to do with it. Um, But again, yeah, I agree with you that it is nice to see a little more openness. Like that Argentina-France match is like a perfect match to draw the, the casual fan in like the england usa match was not a good match if you're just a casual fan showing every four years being like you know what i'm gonna get into soccer and then you watch that you're like no i'm not doing that anymore um so yeah i hope that trends that way um speaking of team usa let's just tie a little bow on this world cup for team usa uh we're not going to get into the whole bear or geo reina who's right who's wrong oh my gosh type of thing but i think I'll kick it to you first, but I, I, I think the United States losing in the round of 16 to the Netherlands was pretty much about what we expected from them at this World Cup.
2: Yeah, I mean, we said that they were a low-floor, high-ceiling team, and then they ended up being right around their ground level. Yeah. Uh, they got out of a group. They were the second-best team to get out. They performed like it. They were the second-best team in the group pretty clearly, I thought. They deserved to beat Iran. The defense held up against scrutiny from Iran and England and Wales. But again, you know, I thought uh, the England performance now I'm like kind of questioning myself. I'm thinking, okay, how much of that was England, not willing to take chances versus us because the Dutch kind of played us like fools uh, in a little bit of a way in that Van Hal let us have the ball and then beat us in transition. We are not a good enough defensive transition team because of our fullbacks. Mm -hmm. Uh, to get away with playing the way we do and i think that's a more interesting question as we go forward as the players you know enter their primes yep is our our defenders our center backs rangy enough and our left back and right back good enough to be the kind of possession team we want to be um would we prefer or be better playing a more passive style in possession i think it's a really interesting question uh because we also don't have a striker and so if you're going to have a lot of possession, but nobody to get shots in the middle of that at the end of the possession, what's the point of having all the possession? So I think there are very interesting tactical questions that Greg has to answer. And uh, he's shown an ability to raise this level of this team. I think he deserves credit for that. He's done a good job in some ways, but I think there are other flaws where he may be a bit weaker that we may have a problem. So we'll see 2024 could be a big summer. If we get the Copa, Yep. even if it's in South America we just need to play big matches against good teams and right. there's a lot of teams in you know a uh, common bowl you know not Brazil and Argentina but the, the Colombia's the Peru's the Paraguay's the Ecuador's and the and the Uruguay's of the world who are you know comparable levels to the United States right now and those kind of matches would be really telling and really interesting uh, as to what the current state of the US is because let's be honest they played two teams that were clearly more talented and two teams that were clearly not as talented And those matches kind of went as we thought. Mm -hmm. Let's see us play, you know, a South American team. Let's get some big matches in because there isn't really going to be much of a qualifying process for 26 Right Uh, outside of Nations League. We're not going to get, and Mexico even is in decline. So it's like a weird situation in CONCACAF right now.
1: Yeah, we definitely need to play Copa America because, I mean, if you think about it, like from now until 2026, if we're only going to play the gold cup, and that's really going to be only our main type of competition. And who knows if even some of our best players even participate in that. We're going to play nobody, <laughs> like, up until that point. And I really hope the United States does play in Copa America. I think it'll be really good for them. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree with you that Netherlands, they did play us like fools. What they did, to exactly what you said. They just killed us up the flanks. They said, we're not going through the middle because that's clearly where the United States is the best. And that's what they showed against England. And they said, we're just going to – you know, swing the ball out wide, we'll throw some crosses in, and guess what? All three goals came off crosses. Netherlands is very threatening uh, in transition. And that's the hardest thing, to your point, is like, do we want to be a more passive, counterattacking-style team? It's a very hard thing to do when you're playing in CONCACAF, and all the teams you're playing are just defensive low blocks, and they're just going to let you have the ball, and they're just going to basically try to counter you. So it's it's always this weird dynamic in international soccer. It's like once you reach the World Cup, it's like, okay, well, we've played that way throughout qualifying and now we have to kind of switch how we were playing, um, which is very, very fascinating. And you know, it's it's hard to take away things from friendlies as well. Um but yeah, I think the United States, whether they retain Bear Halter or not, um, I mean my true belief for the United States is that I know people are not gonna want to hear this, but like I think we should hire a high pedigree European manager and truly focus on playing some of our guys who are playing in the big five leagues in Europe and I think once we see over the next four years some of our younger talent is already making their way over to Europe um, so I think the, the roster is going to be I don't know how many MLS guys we're even going to have uh, in 2026 but yeah I think the US they they got where they should have uh, they got to the round of 16 which is what I thought was the good barometer they were even money to do so which they did um, and then yeah they just lost to a far superior Netherlands team Okay, let's close this out looking forward a little bit. We obviously have a, a lot of international competitions uh, coming up in the next few years. Uh, if you're somebody who, you know, you love international soccer, you thought this World Cup was a lot of fun, but you're like, man, I just can't keep up with the club calendar. I, like, I just can't get into it or whatever. Um, coming up, uh, the next international tournament is going to be uh, the Africa Cup of Nations in January. Uh, of 2024 and then the summer of 2024, Copa America and the European Championships will, will all both be taking place. The, we Asian- the Gold Cup in the summer? Gold the gold Cup next summer. That's right. Good point. Anthony. Yeah, everybody
2: knows it's the premier international yeah. tournament.
1: I I honestly forgot about the gold cup because I the United States is going to be hopefully playing in Copa America. Um, and then the Asian Cup looks like it's going to be there's not a set date on it yet, but it's going to be sometime in 2024 as well. And we even have Euro and AFCON uh, qualifiers coming up here towards the end of March. Um, but let's look forward a little bit. Anthony, what is what is one team that you're looking at right now and you're like, you know what? I want to buy stock in this team as we reach. I'll, I'll leave it open to any continent you want. Uh, which country are you like, I'm buying this team going into their uh, confederations uh, tournament?
2: First off, we have qualifiers coming up. In March for the Euros Mm -hmm. and the Euro groups are going to be really interesting. So before I get to that point, let me talk about the Euros. March uh, 27th is the next international break. And it will be very interesting to see the fact that England plays Italy and they're in the same group together. Uh, The Dutch are in a difficult group with France. They're going to play in March as well. Uh, the next week, you know, you'll get Scotland and Spain. Norway is in a group where Holland has a real chance of qualifying here. So like, there's a lot of really interesting matches that, you know, going around, uh, in that late March window, England, Ukraine as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. The euros were really fun and are always an underrated tournament. And so, you know, we only have to wait about 18 months for that. Plus the Copa will be that summer as well. Uh, in terms of international teams that are kind of on the rise, I'll be really interested to see what Senegal looks like in a couple of years as as Mane uh, is is finally fit again. You know, like the end of his window as kind of the the carrier of this team. I thought they were very impressive in this World Cup. I thought they were one piece away from being a really really good team, and that piece was Sadio Mane. So kind of having him makes them a really interesting you know African team to watch in the coming you know times. Everybody's going to be on the Morocco, team, so I'm kind of off the Morocco train now, but. You know, it, it's tough to say at this point. But in terms of like European teams that could be on the rise, like maybe I don't know, maybe Norway could be Yeah, no, I, I was, I was around Odegaard and Holland. Yeah,
1: I was they, literally looking at that right now. Defense? Yeah. yeah, I mean, they, like, I mean, here's the thing: international soccer. Like, yeah, we could sit here and say Norway doesn't have a good defense, or their midfield is, or you know, the, is kind of lacking. But like they have Holland and they have Odegaard. And sometimes maybe that's all you need to beat some of these smaller nations and actually get into one of these competitions. So yeah, I'd say them uh, another team I'm I'm kind of interested to see how things kind of play out is honestly the Ukraine. Cause like they have, they have some talent coming through now. Like Mudrick's probably going to make a move to, to a bigger club and be uh, a big name along with Zinchenko. Uh, they obviously still have some young talent as well. So they're a very interesting team. Um, for me, I'm going to stick in Africa. Um, I think a team we kind of forgot about because they didn't make the World Cup is Nigeria. I, I truly believe they're one of the three best teams in Africa. I think we forget the amount of talent that this Nigerian team has. And the thing is, is that the last Africa Cup of Nations, they were like fifth or sixth on the odds board. They were 10 to one to win it, which I thought was kind of a... You know, I ended up betting that and it didn't come true because they got, you know, on the wrong side of some variance against Tanisha. But like we forget that they have Victor Oshman, Adam Olookman, Joe Aribo, Alex Awobi, Nitin Didi, Calvin Bassi. Like this team has a lot, a lot of talent that can, that truly, again, was just on the wrong side of some variants in their two major competitions, right? So the Africa Cup of Nations, they, had a bad result against Tunisia, Like Tunisia basically just scored on one hot bad hop and they win one, nothing in, in the knockout stage. And then, uh, just one, uh, one goal from Ghana outside the box from Thomas party. And that was the difference, but Nigeria ended up dominating over the two legs. So like, if those things go different, Nigeria comes to this world cup, we could have been talking about them instead of Morocco, but I would agree with you. I'm going to be very interested when AFCON, uh, Odds do come out because I think a lot of people are going to overlook how talented this Nigerian team is because the competition is going to be in the Ivory Coast. Like they're going to be one of the favorites along with Morocco and Senegal. If Nigeria's fifth or sixth on the odds board, I'm automatically going to be betting them. And you know, a couple other teams that I'm I'm very interested to see what they look like in two or three years. One is Spain. Like without Luis Enrique, are they going to play a different style? Are they going to try to stay more possession based? Because, like, like we say all the time, it's just it's great to have a lot of possession, but if you cannot do anything with it, then that becomes a real problem. And that was very evident for Spain in this World Cup. Um, so they're they're an interesting team mainly because they don't have an out and out striker outside of Morata. Although we love him, he's getting up there in age. I don't know how much longer he's going to be their, their number one striker. Um, they have all this attacking talent. They have, you know, one of the best midfields in the entire world, who do they bring in and who can really steer them towards being, you know, dominant again, like they were in the early 2010s. So yeah, for me, I'm really buying stock in Nigeria right now. I mean, I'm looking at that Norway group and I think that they can get out of that in the Euro qualifiers, but, um, yeah. So if you're somebody who who loves these international tournaments, and you really just get into the international game and you can't keep up the club calendar. I'm going to be doing more uh, of these international stuff. Um, as we get closer to these, these qualifiers doing a lot of writing surrounding them. I'm not sure if we're going to be able, if we're going to be doing a podcast for them, we'll see when we get there. Um, you know, you can always check out my international soccer rankings on the action I'll be having an update and pushing those out uh, Monday night, early Tuesday morning. Um, and that with that, Anthony, we will tie a bow on the 2022 World Cup from Qatar. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who listened, who read all of our stuff throughout the World Cup. It means the world to us. You guys are the reason why we're able to sit here and do these podcasts and do all these writings. So thank you for listening. And we'll be back Thursday morning for a Boxing Day preview. Michael Leboff will be back in the host chair. So for Anthony DeBundo, I'm BJ Cunningham, So long to the 2022 World Cup, and we'll see you all on Boxing Day.
0: Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.